I want to lose 50 pounds. I'm just making this up. But, you know, it's a common one at the beginning of the year. People want to lose weight. Um, I want to lose 50 pounds. You look at that and you're like, well, that's super overwhelming. Like, you already feel like you've lost because it's such an overwhelming goal. But if you can break that down into increments, first of all, much smaller increments of what that looks like and, and then say, okay, well, what would I need to actually do to lose a half a pound this week? What are some little things that I could do this week and even today that would help me get there? Then you have much smaller tasks on your list to check off every day. And every time you check it off, right, you get this like little tiny dopamine hit that's like, yeah, you're doing what you said you were gonna do. This is the Plant Fueled Podcast. My name is Cass Warbeck. I'm a medical student, plant-based athlete, and vegan lifestyle advocate. This podcast is all about bringing you conversations to optimize your health and elevate your performance. Hey everyone, I hope you've all been enjoying the holiday season, however it is that you celebrate. Personally, I cannot believe another year is almost over. It really seems to have flown by. So seeing as January 2022 is right around the corner, my conversation today focuses on building healthy routines and how to reach fitness goals. It is my hope that it provides you with some things to think about as you contemplate how you want to improve going forward into the new year. So joining me today is Danny Taylor, a vegan figure competitor and champion, fitness coach, and the co-founder of veganproteins.com, a great online resource for anyone looking to build strength on a vegan diet. Danny coaches her clients from a base of deep personal understanding of body weight struggles. She actually grew up in a very unhealthy environment and reached 210 pounds at 16 years old, despite becoming a vegetarian at age 12. But after going vegan at age 17, she began to lose weight and take her health into her own into her own hands. She found strength training and began to learn more about proper nutrition and she never looked back. Over the next few years, Danny lost 80 pounds and gained a whole new life. After being shot down by many coaches when she was younger for her vegan lifestyle, she has never let the naysayers stand in her way or anyone else's when it comes to achieving fitness goals as a vegan. Helping people become more confident in themselves by exercise and a healthy diet and mindset is what motivates her on a daily basis. In our conversation today, we discuss some of the misconceptions behind bodybuilding and fitness competitions, the importance of building healthy habits, how to set and reach fitness goals, her approach to fat loss with her clients, and so much more. But before we jump into it, just a quick shout out to my show sponsor, Warlock Golf. Okay, now I'm sure some of you have been wondering by now why I'm sponsored by a golf company. Well, full disclosure, it's my cousin's company. I love supporting small businesses and who better to support than my own family. So if you've been on the fence about purchasing some stylish one-of-a-kind ball markers or other golf accessories, then maybe this will fully convince you. Seriously though, Warlet Golf is a great Canadian-based company rooted in small town Manitoba that understands golf is supposed to be fun and who couldn't use more fun in their life these days. So if you're convinced, head on over to warlockgolf.com and please use discount code PLANT15 for a complimentary 15% off your order. That's code PLANT15 for 15% off your order at warlockgolf.com. All right, now please enjoy this conversation with the inspiring Danny Taylor. Welcome to my podcast, Danny. It's really great to have you here. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, there's um, so many things I want to get into, and this episode will be actually coming out right before January, so it's a perfect opportunity to dive into some strategies and tips for people as everyone starts to plan their fitness and health goals for the new year. But I thought maybe before we dive into that, a good place to start out would be discussing your own personal weight loss and your strength training journey, Um, because I think there's a lot of people out there that would really love to hear your story. So can you share some of this? Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, So I grew up uh, in a household where we didn't have a lot of money. And uh, 
unhealthy food is pretty cheap. So we ate a lot of really, really like highly processed unhealthy food, uh, ramen noodles or eight packs where there were eight packs for a dollar and mac and cheese was four packs for a dollar and hot dogs are super cheap. So we ate a lot of that growing up, but not a lot of fruits and vegetables, not a lot of fresh food, period. Not a lot of water, actually. Lots of uh, like diet soda. Pr- pretty, pretty bad diet. Um, and unsurprisingly, I was overweight. Um, but everybody in my family was overweight. So I just always kind of assumed that it was like a genetic thing, sort of a family thing. And uh, to be honest, I wasn't really bothered by it because, you know, it's just like, these are the cards I've been dealt. It is what it is. And didn't really dwell on it. Just moved on. Um, I went vegetarian pretty young, like around eight years old. Actually, I gave up meat because of an incident that happened with a lobster. It was very upsetting. And I just, yeah, it was not a a fun day. And I just kind of realized like at that moment, like, oh man, like chicken nuggets, those were chickens. Like what? Um, And I remember saying to my mom, like, well, do we have to eat this? And she was like, well, some people don't. And I was like, okay, cool. I want to be one of those people. Um, And they weren't super thrilled with it, but I just stopped eating the meat that was on my plate from that point out. But I did eat a lot, lot, lot of dairy and a lot of eggs and things that had those. And by the time I was about 16 years old, I was about 210 pounds or so uh, going into my junior year of high school. And I was writing a paper for an English class about vegetarianism. And I just stumbled across a website that explained the connection of the dairy and egg industry to the meat industry. And it was like literally something I had never thought of. I had never heard the word vegan. I had never met a vegan, but I realized reading that like, wow, if this is true, I don't want to be a part of that. So I just gave up dairy and eggs and uh, animal foods like overnight poorly, I might add, because I didn't, it's not like I suddenly became a nutrition whiz. I just stopped eating these things and ate French fries and plain bagels and, you know, (laughs) Coca-Cola. So technically vegan, but not very good for you. And a few months later, I went to the doctor just for a checkup and they said that I was 180 pounds. I had lost 30 pounds since the last time that I was there. And I was like, what? Uh, And it was the first time ever that it occurred to me that, you know, maybe my health and my body was more in my control than I realized it was. And it was that point on that I decided, okay, I want to actually learn about some of this. I want to actually learn how to eat well. I want to actually start moving my body. So I started exercising and eating better at that point. And then strength training came later and then competing and coaching came even later than that. But that was kind of all the start of it. Yeah. That's, that's incredible. Actually how you kind of small steps led to you to where you are today. And I'm just curious, looking back on, because you had made a comment about how you thought like it was just genetic, that you're predisposition to have a heavier body weight. Looking back on it now, do you still think that you had those genetics or do you think it was more like we hear the term like lifestyle runs in families? Do you think that it was the lifestyle or was there a genetic predisposition there? I, I do think that it was almost entirely lifestyle. I think at this point that having grown up very unhealthy for 16 years, you know, before I started this path, I do think that that kind of set some things in stone that have made 
things a little bit more challenging from there on out, as opposed to if I had just eaten well and been an athlete my mm, whole life. I've pro- um, so I don't know if I would consider that to be like genetic or not at this point, but originally I do think that it was entirely uh, lifestyle based. Yeah, no, super interesting. Um, so you mentioned that from there you started to get into like the strength training and the fitness. And I'm curious what pulled you towards strength training versus something like cardio training? Because a lot of women, when they do want to lose weight, that's what they gravitate towards. So how did that play out for you? So I actually was that person. I, I, I did most of my weight loss with just diet and cardio alone. And in my mind, I had a goal weight, right. That I wanted to see. And I was like, when I get there, I'm going to look so good. I'm going to feel so good. And then I got there and I was like, huh, that is not what I had in mind, really. <laughs> um, but I kept going. I kept going to the gym and I would just get on the elliptical, right? Because it was, you know, pretty safe, non-threatening thing to do. But I could see the weight room from where I was. And at this point, I was like 18 or 19 years old. But I could see these strong, fit women over there. And I was like, I want to do that. And there was a trainer who was in just like phenomenal shape and I was like, I'm going to hire her. So at 19 years old with, uh, you know, not, not a ton of money to spare at that point, but I decided this was something I wanted to invest in. And I hired her and she taught me how to lift and it was really, really empowering and a wonderful experience. But there reached a point where I was like, okay, I want to make more progress than this. And she was like, well, if you're not willing to like, at least, at least have whey protein or at least have, you know, eggs, like there's nothing that this might be where the buck stops for you. And that just made me so frustrated that from that point on, I became like super determined to find a way to reach my goals and stay in line with my ethics at that point. Um, and that's, that's what I did. So (laughs) it's, it's been a long journey since then. Yeah, I'd say that would have been so hard to, I guess, stick to like what ethically, what you felt was right. Even when like people that obviously have been in the fitness industry for a long time, were telling you that like, this isn't going to work. So I'm curious, like, how did you, like, what resources were, did you know any other vegan athletes at the time? Like, how did you navigate this? No, I didn't know any other vegan athletes at the time. Uh, and I I didn't have, I didn't even know of any other vegan athletes. Not like I didn't know them personally. I didn't know of any at all, but I got on my computer. This was around like 2005 or 2006. And I started Googling, you know, vegan bodybuilder, vegan fitness, vegan strength. And Robert T came up and his website, veganbodybuilding.com, which at the time was mostly a forum. Like this was pre-Facebook, you know, MySpace still kind of existed, but it was, you know, not a big thing, but this was a forum dedicated to like just vegans who wanted to get stronger or be more athletic or actually do bodybuilding when there wasn't a ton of information out about it. So everybody was sort of learning from each other. And it was really super cool to all of us kind of running our own experiments on ourselves and reporting back like, Hey, I've been trying this. This is how it's been working. And hearing from other people doing different things and kind of picking and choosing what you wanted to try. And now I feel like there's so much information out there about it that it's almost overwhelming. 
but at the time, like that was it. So it was a super cool community and it's where I met Robert and it's where I met my husband. So yeah, very influential in my life for sure. Yeah. That's so great. Robert's actually been on the podcast. So I'll link to that episode as well, but he's an incredible resource of information. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah. So I'd love to, before we get into, um, I guess some of your coaching strategies and all that, um, can you talk about a little bit about some of your experience in like the fitness, um, fitness competitions and bodybuilding, because it's something like, I don't have much experience with how it works. Like I would just love to hear why you decided to like enter into your first competition and then what that whole process was like? Yeah. So this is such a good question. I'm like, Oh, which Avenue should I take in talking (laughs) about this? But I'll start with what got me interested in it. So, uh, first I just wanted to, you know, look like the women that I saw in these like oxygen magazine and muscle and strength. And that's like how it all started. And I found veganbodybuilding.com. But the thought of actually competing in bodybuilding never crossed my mind. That is so far from the realm of something I ever thought that I would do. Literally never crossed my mind. But meeting Robert and meeting my husband, Giacomo, and some other actually competitive bodybuilders who were doing this as vegans, the true story is I watched them do it. And I was like, that looks wildly unhealthy. There's got (laughs) to be a better way to do it. Like everything about what they were doing at the time, I was like, that's dumb. I don't like that at all. Based on everything I knew about nutrition at that point, I was like, no, 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 there's got to, I'm a nerd. Can you just just share like some of these like things, like, was it just the extreme restriction or like, what are you talking about? The extreme restriction is one. Yeah. So Giacomo, my husband at the time, he was a raw food bodybuilder, not just vegan, but also raw. So he was eating like bags of sprouted mung beans every day and spirulina shakes and like mung beans and spirulina, totally healthy, but that would be like all that he would eat for a while. Um, the marathon training sessions that would go on for hours and hours. And then the whole water cutting into a show that was super popular at the time. Like it wasn't just them. They weren't being weird. This was the culture at the time. Um, and then one show that that uh, my husband did and Robert did it right with him, like they gained 30 pounds overnight, like overnight after the show. And I was like, that that's not good for you. Like that definitely can't be right. And because I'm such a nerd about this stuff and certainly at this point was very, very deep into it. I decided to learn a better way. And I started being like, Hey guys, I found this research that suggests that this might be a wet, better way to do it. And I started sort of coaching them bit by bit until other people were like, Hey, can you coach me to do a show? So I actually started coaching people to compete in bodybuilding before I ever competed in bodybuilding. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it wasn't until, uh, I actually was able to attend one of the shows that I had like five or six clients competing in. And I sat in the audience and I watched them and I was like, I can do this. I think I can do this. Like I know how to do it. It wasn't about knowing how to do it. It was about like having the guts to actually put on the bikini and the heels and do the the strutting and stuff like that. That was so out of my element, but I was like, I can do this. I know I can do this. And, but that was years after I actually started coaching, which is very different from the way most people get into coaching. Yeah. No kidding. And bodybuilding. A little backwards for sure. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm curious. So what did you, or what do you love most about the sport? I guess is my first question. 
I love the discipline that it requires. Um, and there's a lot about that. It's not just like, oh, the grinding and the restriction. Those are parts of it. But there are also counterparts to both of those things that I think also require a lot of discipline. Knowing when not to push too hard. Knowing when to kind of hold back. Knowing how to incorporate more balance into your eating without going in a full-blown binge um, because this all or nothing mentality that some people can do with bodybuilding is absolutely like a recipe for an eating disorder. So trying to like find the balance of that. And unlike a lot of sports, bodybuilding, when you're doing it competitively, you never stop doing it. It's a 24 seven job. Like, you know, if I were a professional golfer, I would go practice golfing. And then certainly practice and rehab and making sure you're eating well would be important. But with bodybuilding, you can never stop thinking about like, how will this affect my bodybuilding? And for me, it's just really the discipline of that has crossed over into so many other areas of my life that I think it's just made me like a better person overall. Yeah, no, I can, I can totally see that. Do you still compete currently? Are you more just the coaching side of it? I still compete. Um, the last competition season that I did was in uh, 2018. I probably would have done it last year, but that was not the best year to compete. <laughs> yeah. um, but, but with bodybuilding, it is not smart to do it every year um, mm-hmm. because it takes such a huge toll on your body and your life for that matter. And the periods where you get better as a bodybuilder are actually the periods where you're not competing, where you're not dieting. Like you have to eat food and lift a lot in order to build muscle. And you, that's not really going to happen while you're cutting or dieting. So the cycles I think are just maybe longer than it is in some other sports. Um, but yes, I still consider myself to be, uh, an active competitor. Yeah, no, very cool. Um, just a few more questions on this. I find it interesting. (laughs) What would you say is like the biggest misconception about, um, fitness competitions or like the world of um, bodybuilding? That it's healthy. (laughs) that's that's the number one misconception and unfortunately the rise in social media I think has made this a lot worse um because you know we just pop online and we see our our friend or our neighbor our barista they're they're gonna do a fitness competition and you're like if they can do it I can do it and we kind of treat it like it's a 5k like oh I'll just check it off my bucket list I just want to see what I look like with abs and the fact of the matter is even when you're doing bodybuilding sort of well, correctly, intelligently and balanced, you are never going to be weaker or more fatigued or more tired and exhausted. Uh, Your hormones are never going to be more messed up than when you're on stage. That is literally the least healthy day of a bodybuilder's sort of career is the days that they're actually competing. Um, but we look at them and they say, wow, they look so fit. They, they must be so healthy. They're so dedicated to their health. And they may very well be, but the sport itself is not a healthy sport. And I get so much hate for saying this, but I don't care. It's still true. And I'm going to keep saying it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I really appreciate the honesty. And I, I think also just from an outsider point of view, we think that these people look like this all the time or that they walk around similar to this, I guess. And I'm assuming that's not the case. That's, I mean, there, there are a handful of people that do. And I actually think that those people are one of two things. They're either really, really genetically blessed, um, where they can just maintain a really 
like low level of body fat and maintain their health, which is rare. Um, or they're restricting themselves year round all the time to look like that. And it will have uh, negative repercussions eventually, but most bodybuilders do not look like that year round. Um, and if they did, they wouldn't be very good bodybuilders because they'd never be getting better. Yeah. So, no. Oh, yeah. That's so interesting. <laughs> um, I guess just like last question on this. Um, what would you say to someone if they're kind of back in their mind, they're thinking about maybe entering a competition or wanting to do one in 2022? Like, what would you say to them? My first thing would be do your research. Do so much research that it's like coming out your ears. Research other people's experiences competing, uh, people who tried to do it on their own, uh, meeting without a coach, uh, people who had bad coaching experiences, people who had great experiences, like listen to it all. Um, because I think a lot of people just look at the positive sides of it and just jump right into it. And the fact of the matter is if you're not careful, you can develop some really intense mental issues around like your body image, body dysmorphia, disordered eating all the way up to full-blown eating disorders. Um, and, and you learn some really terrible food habits and ways of talking about yourself and looking at yourself. So, you know, I never want to say bodybuilding is terrible because it's not, I love it. I really do love the sport, but if you don't know what you're getting into, you will probably have a terrible experience that could have repercussions that last like years, literally. So it's not, it's not a 5k. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> not something to take lightly here. No, I appreciate yeah. that. Um, all right. So just getting back into the coaching side of things. So you said you've been coaching for several years now. How many, how many years, I guess? 14. <laughs> Too many to maybe. count. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Sounds good. And, um, is most of this like online training that you do? Yes. Yes. Okay. All, all of it is online training. And in fact, it always has, it has been since the beginning. I mean, I've, I've worked in gyms and done personal training, but I think coaching is a bit different than just personal training. Um, but even from day one, like I only did online coaching cause I only work with vegans and, uh, yeah, we're you know, kind of spread out. <laughs> yeah. And especially 14 years ago, you know, much like myself, a lot of people don't, they don't know other vegans. They, they didn't know any vegan trainers or coaches. So, you know, at the time there were maybe like two or three vegan online coaches, like in the world. <laughs> so it was a different world back then for sure. <laughs> yeah. Very niche market, but hopefully yeah. that's growing. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. it is. <laughs> Good. Um, so you work with um, a lot of women, like you were saying, and I'd like to just kind of tackle the whole stigma around, around like weightlifting and um, just, I know it's probably been discussed like crazy and um, most women don't think that weightlifting is going to be detrimental, but can you just address that real quickly? Like, cause I think there is still a bit of a stigma about lifting heavy. And if a woman wants to get like quote unquote toned, like how does she do that? <laughs> Uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, I used to get really like kind of snotty when people would say that, like, I want to get toned. I'd be yeah, like, do you even know what you're saying? <laughs> and I've really kind of eased up on this a bit because I know what they're saying. They just might not know what they're saying. Um, so when people say I want to get toned, what they mean is they want to have more muscle and less body fat. Like that is all that toned is. It's not like you're toning your body fat <laughs> into muscle. You're not, you're not making alchemy here. Like it's, you're just building muscle and getting leaner period full stop. Um, so even still, I do meet a lot of women 
who they they do want to do some sort of strength training, um, but they're limiting themselves to like the little pink dumbbells and kind of using that set to do everything. Um, and there's nothing wrong with little pink dumbbells if that's where you're starting, but you always want to be getting stronger uh, in some capacity. Otherwise, you are not making progress. So, you know, I've known some women who have had the same little set of pink dumbbells in their house for the last 10 years, and that's what they've been using. And I guess that's better than nothing, but it's not going to get you where you want to go. But a lot of people, especially women, mostly women, are afraid that if they lift anything heavier than that, they're going to get bulky. And that is the terminology that we hear over and over. I don't want to get bulky. I don't want to get bulky. And uh, I understand where they're coming from, but it always makes me laugh a little bit because like, dude, I've been trying to get bulky for 15 years. Like I promise this does not happen by accident. It yeah, does. I, was, I was just going to say that. It's like, <laughs> I wish I could pick up a dumbbell and like <laughs> grow five pounds <sighs> of muscle. <laughs> Seriously, truly, I wish that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's not going to happen. You, one, you would need to be eating so much food and lifting so much weight. And it, there's just no world, uh, you know, outside of the world of like performance enhancing drugs where you're going to wake up and be like, Oh, look at that. I'm huge now. Um, but there's so many benefits to resistance training for women, uh, women, especially, I mean, it's beneficial for everybody, but women have higher risks of osteoporosis as they get older and weight bearing exercises help to improve bone density and reduce uh, bone loss. So just that alone right there, whether you care about what you look like or how strong you are or anything, like nobody wants any kind of osteoporosis as they get older. Um, so that's a really kind of easy way to work on that. There's also things like as we get older, and I think this is really important because like, I remember when I was 25 and I was just like, I'm going to be 25 forever. And now I'm 35 and I'm like, shoot, 40 is really close now. And, <laughs> um, you know, as you get older, you want to be able to do things like, you know, play with your kids or pick up your grandkids or pick up your groceries and put them away. Like squatting, deadlifting, overhead pressing, rowing, all of those things are going to translate to your real life. And we lose muscle as we get older. And this can help to prevent that. And in some cases you can build muscle well into your old age if you're, if you're doing it correctly and well. So yeah, I think that it's gotten better. I don't think there's as much of a stigma around weightlifting as there used to be, but it's still there in some circles. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you commenting on that because that's, that's huge and helps just like put that myth <laughs> to bed. Yeah. I guess. Um, and yeah, just, um, that point on like maintaining muscle mass as we age, like that is so important. I think that's like the, um, grip strength or the degree of muscle mass is one of like the best predictors of independence as we age. And like, if yeah. we think about it, just like getting up off the toilet is like half a squat right there. So like you need this strength and it's good to prioritize it. <laughs> yeah. Grip strength is a good one. You know, I never thought of that before, but you're very right. That's never crossed my mind. Yeah. I think it's been like, that's just one of the easy things to study as like, mm -hmm. just like getting old people. Yeah. Like, yeah. Grip strength. And it just like correlates very well with like independence and um, ability to age gracefully, I guess. <laughs> um, I love that. Yeah. So I guess, um, just asking back on the cardio, do you think it's necessary to be doing hours of cardio a week to have like a lean looking physique? Like where, how do you coach your clients on that? Yeah. So I don't think that at all. Um, 
I mean, I think everybody should be doing some kind of cardio because it's good for your heart, but cardio doesn't have to be like running. Weightlifting can be cardio if you're doing it in a certain way. Just anything that gets your heart pumping is cardio. That could be dancing. That could be playing with kids. Like that could be any number of things. Um, but as far as like needing to do it to maintain a quote unquote toned physique, uh, not really like you can, you can accomplish it and maintain that physique without really doing any cardio. If your diet is on point, um, again, I think it's more balanced to incorporate a little bit of it, but yeah, there's a lot of people who, you know, they're doing like an hour every day of like formal cardio. And it's just too much. It's too stressful on the body, depending on what kind it is. It can be really stressful on the joints, increased risk of injury, um, make you fatigued. And it's, it's just not a great thing. The only time that I have clients doing like a lot of cardio, um, outside of bodybuilding competition prep specifically. And that just increases as you get closer. You don't start out the gate with a ton of it, um, is if they love cardio and, you know, we all know that person who just like loves to run or cycle or swim. And even if it's not a hundred percent in line with whatever their goal is at that time, if someone really loves it, I'm never going to tell them to stop doing it. Maybe tweak the way you do it a little bit, but it's not necessary. So if you're doing a ton of cardio and you don't love it, you give yourself permission to not do so much of it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Great. I'm sure there's some people out there listening that are like, thank you. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Um, all right. So let's dive into like the building healthy habits, healthy routines and all that, because I know that must be a huge part of your role as a coach. Like you're not just like writing programs. It's about helping people actually put these programs to work in their life. And, um, I guess, can you maybe just touch on to start, like why are habits so important and how do you, I guess, facilitate clients like making healthy habits? Habits really are everything. Um, when I was a baby coach, when I was a brand new coach, I kind of just treated you know, in the nicest way possible, I kind of just thought people were like robots. And if I wrote them a program on a, in a diet that they would, okay, cool. You have this, here's your, here are your keys to success. Have fun. Um, you know, obviously I've learned quite a bit since then, but yeah, people are not robots and you can have the best plan in the world on paper, but if you can't actually implement that into your life, it is worthless. So what I like to do is first of all, analyze the areas of your life. And this could be fitness or nutrition, but this could be your relationship, your job, your money, whatever, like anywhere in your life that you want to actually improve and look at what you're actually doing now. Like keep track of how you're spending your time now. Um, because you'll be able to spot places in your day where it's like, Oh, if I just did this here, everything would get easier. Um, an example, a fitness related example would be, you know, if I just laid my gym clothes out, like on the chair the night before actually putting them on and getting out the door would be easier. Or if I brought my gym clothes with me to work, I would just go there on the way home from work. Um, so the habit isn't, you can't think about it. Like I need to go to the gym five days a week. The habit is I need to put my gym clothes in the car so that I remember to actually go to the gym. So it makes that easier for you. Cause a lot of the things that we want to do, we don't do because there's a friction point in that system. So you want to identify what the friction point is and try to eliminate that with the tiniest little habits. So that's what I do with my clients. We kind of track what they're doing, see where they're at, talk about what it is they want to be doing, and then identify 
what are these tiny little things we can put in here that are going to make your whole life easier? You know, get outside for five minutes a day. If they're not doing that, once they get outside for like five minutes, they're like, Oh, I can keep going. I can keep, I can go for a half an hour walk instead of a five minute walk. But you know, all of the results of anything are just the like compounding of what you do every single day. So you know, you don't, you're going to do so much better having like a few tiny habits that you do every single day versus having like three or four days every month where you're just killing it and everything is perfect. Like the person that's just like drinking their water and getting their sleep and getting some sunshine, they're going to do better than the person who's like nailing four days out of the month. And then every other day is not good. Does that make sense? Yeah, that totally makes (laughs) sense. And I think, I think that's super important to kind of like um, bring awareness to is like starting with small, small habits and then building up is kind of what I'm hearing here is like, mm-hmm. okay, even if you just get outside for five minutes a day, like don't make the the goal to be, to get out for an hour a day, like just start with like five minutes and then go up from there. So it seems like starting with these small like habits that you can fit into your daily like life already seems to probably be more successful long-term. Yeah. Because I think if we say like set a goal, right. An example of, I want to lose 50 pounds. I'm just making this up, Mm -hmm. but you know, it's a common one at the beginning of the year, people want to lose weight. Um, I want to lose 50 pounds. You look at that and you're like, well, that's super overwhelming. Like you already feel like you've lost because it's such an overwhelming goal. But if you can break that down into increments, first of all, much smaller increments of what that looks like and, and then say, okay, well, what would I need to actually do to lose a half a pound this week? What are some little things that I could do this week and even today that would help me get there? Then you have much smaller tasks on your list to check off every day. And every time you check it off, right, you get this like little tiny dopamine hit that's like, yeah, you're doing what you said you were going to do. And that stuff builds up more confidence in your ability to accomplish things to the point that one day you're like, you know what, I can do this. I can reach this big goal of losing 50 pounds or running a marathon or whatever it is that the goal initially was. But I know that the little goals are so much more helpful to me than looking at the giant goal. It's almost like the giant goal doesn't even make sense to me at first, you know, Um, but the little ones do. Yeah, no. So I, I really like that. So I guess the framework would be almost like what is your, your big overarching goal here? So your fitness related or other, and then breaking that down into smaller, more manageable goals with identifiable, like time points, I guess. And mm-hmm. then the healthy habits are how we reach those little goals. Am I understanding that correctly? Yes, totally. So the little healthy habits I kind of think of it like juggling. Have you ever seen it go into like a show where someone's juggling and they're juggling two balls and they like get that going really well. And then someone throws a third one in and then a fourth until they're like juggling eight balls. And you're like, (laughs) how is that possible? Like, if you think about your little habits, kind of like that, like you get one, you nail it. It's in your routine. Boom. You don't have to think about that anymore. Then you can add another one. And you know, if it's really small, this doesn't take very long. It can literally take a few days to, you know, learn to put your running shoes by the door, like super easy, then add another one, then add another one until eventually the way your day is kind of laid out is kind of creating this map for you to be the person that achieves that big goal. That's really great, actually. So let's talk about setting that big fitness goal in the first place. So what would be because you mentioned a couple, like losing 50 pounds or running in a 5k or a marathon or something like that. Like what 
is in the realm of realistic or what kind of goals do you encourage your clients to set? So I do like it when people set specific goals because a lot of people come to me and they just say their goal, and this is a totally valid goal. I'm not saying it's not, but their goal is like, I just want to be healthier or I just want to be fitter or I just want to build muscle. Uh, you know, those are, they're good goals, but they're kind of vague and mm-hmm. hard to determine when you have achieved them or not. So if someone says they want to be healthier, uh, I might be like, well, what, what are you noticing throughout your day? Like we'll make little benchmarks if they're like, well, I work on the third floor and I'm super winded by the time I get to the third floor, you know, that can be one of the things that we're working towards. Like being able to walk to your desk without getting winded can be a goal that's very specific, um, and attainable or, uh, women that want to build muscle, we can work towards sort of achieving a certain lift, like maybe being able to squat their body weight or do a pull-up or something like that. That's very specific. Like, you know, when you hit it, there's no question. Right. Um, so we can take these vague goals and try to find pieces that are much more like tactile to set as goals. And they can be little ones or they can be big ones, you know, like running a marathon, you'll know when you ran a marathon because, you know, it's 26.2 miles, but breaking that down into being able to run a 5k and then 10k, uh, et cetera, et cetera, is a really clear one because it's got like actual numbers on them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course. Do you recommend having like a time frame for these goals? So like if someone's goal was to do like one pull up, body weight pull up, do you put a time frame on that or how, like, cause those, that's a little different than like a marathon. Yeah. So not usually if it, if it's one like that, where it's like a pull-up or not getting winded by the, getting to the third floor, I don't think that you need to have a time frame on those. Um, but sometimes people will set like marathon or I want to lose this number of pounds and without having a deadline, uh, you, they can get a little bit lost on the way there. It's almost like they lose motivation or they slow down to a crawl, uh, getting there. So there are times where having a deadline or a date uh, or time frame can be helpful, uh, but sometimes it's not helpful. And like in the example of a pull-up for a woman, especially like that's a really big deal for a lot of women to do their first pull-up um, and to set a time frame and have them like not hit that time frame. I think would be really discouraging. So I probably wouldn't put one with yeah. that. No, that makes sense. So it's very individualized depending on the goal and depending on yeah. the person and how much time they can put towards it every day as well. Totally. Um, yeah. So, so one of the goals you had example goals was like losing 50 pounds. And I'm just curious, how do you feel about these, I guess, weight loss goals? Like, do you think it's okay to put a number that you want to lose? And do you see women coming up with these like unrealistic numbers? Yeah. Um, that's a great question, actually. So I I do think it depends on the person and the situation. Um, You know, I, uh, first of all, I I would never suggest, I don't suggest any goals to people. Like, unless they're like, Hey, I want to, I want to build muscle. Then, you know, I'll pick some that are kind of in that realm, but I would never just meet somebody and be like, Hey, here's a good goal for you. How about we try to lose 50 pounds? Like, (laughs) Whoa, like they might not want to lose 50 pounds. It's not up to me. Their their goals are not up to me. Um, But if somebody does you know, have a significant amount of weight that they could afford to lose. And they say they want to lose 50 pounds. I'm okay with that. I like to break it down into much smaller increments. Like let's shoot for, you know, uh, a half a pound or three quarters of a pound, or it depends on the person per week or something like that. 
Um, but I do meet a lot of women who really don't have a lot of weight to lose. They, they might not have any weight to lose, but they want to. And then we have to have a conversation about realistic expectations. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the fact that your high school weight might very well not make sense for you anymore. Um, and it wouldn't look the way you would imagine it to look. And here are some of the possible like repercussions of getting down to that body weight because it probably wouldn't be very healthy for you. Um, so it, it, again, it really depends on the person. Um, and there are some people that are just naturally going to sit very healthily, I might add, at a higher body weight, and that's totally fine. So I think sometimes setting a number goal works out just fine if it's very realistic. Um, but sometimes people just get hooked on a number in their head that is absolutely going to cause more problems than it's going to help. Yeah, I, I can agree with that. And even like I've had experiences like with that myself in the past, like you just get hooked on a certain number and then like you take a step back and you're like, why does this number even yeah. matter? Like, why am I fixated on this? Like, I think just as humans, we're drawn to like round numbers or increments of mm-hmm. fives or something, but it's, it's silly yeah. to think about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I did the same thing with my original goal weight. Like I was like, oh, I got away one, I would think it was 130 or something. I'm five foot seven. And I got there and I was like, huh. I just thought this would be different than it is. And now, you know, my happy, my happy weight is like 145 at five, seven, and I have muscle and my hormones are good. And to somebody else, they might think, wow, 145, five, seven, that's, that's a little high for an athlete. And I'm like, oh, that's not actually how it works. Like, but you know, because people have yeah. weird misconceptions about numbers and weights in their head and, you know, they want to look toned, but they don't want to have the scale go up, but you need to have muscle to look toned and that might make the scale go up. So yeah, lots of conversations there. <laughs> yeah, no, that's good. It sounds like it's really beneficial for you to like talk these ideas through with your clients rather than just taking their initial goal at like face value, I guess. It's like yes. talking through making sure the goal is appropriate and they understand that what the goal actually means, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. The, the conversations I think are the most, like I said, when I was new, I thought everybody was a robot, you know, you could just do this, this, and this, and you input this, you get this out. Like, no, now I've learned like it is like 80% mental. Like, how do you feel about the situation? What do you think about this situation? Does your life even work with this goal? Like, can we make this happen? The conversations are actually where I think like the magic of coaching somebody well is. Yeah. It really sounds like it. Um, Okay. So you had mentioned that like when you, like in your own personal experience, you had reached this goal weight and you're like, Oh, this isn't as great as it seemed. (laughs) And I'm sure that happens to a lot of people. And I just like to, how do you help people, I guess, focus on the process and not just fixating on the goal outcome? Because like, as you said, sometimes we reach these goals and they're, we're not any happier. And we thought we'd be so happy once we're this goal weight and we're not. And I think that can be a little bit of like a letdown at first. And then, or all of a sudden we set another goal and be like, actually, I need to lose 10 more pounds and then I'll be happy. So how do you avoid this like vicious cycle with your, with your clients? Yeah. So first, the entire time, I am always encouraging them to try to find the joy in the process. Like if they don't enjoy the process, um, then it doesn't even matter if we reach the goal because they're never going to keep it um, because you need to keep doing certain things in order to maintain your progress. And if you're hating every second of it, why would you? You know. So we try to find things to do that they enjoy and uh, set it up in a way that is sustainable for them. And the whole time, I am like a broken record about the process, the process, the process, the habit, the consistency, the discipline, like I never stop. Um, I do think that some people need
need to reach that first goal to realize that it's not all they thought it was going to be, unfortunately. You know, assuming it's not like a crazy outlandish goal. Um, if somebody just has this number hooked in their mind, like in my case, it was 130, uh, and got there, and they very likely are going to realize like, oh, the world didn't like open up to them when they reached this goal weight. Like the, the clothes don't fit exactly the way they thought they were going to. Like, I remember actually I was so, I was very young at the time, but I would look up other people that were my height and the weight that I wanted to be and think that when I got there, I'd look like them, which I actually, I mean, it sounds silly saying it out loud now, but a lot of people do this. They'll find somebody else, their same height, and their goal weight and think they'll look like that. But we all have different bodies, like different bone lengths and lever lengths and our skin lays differently. So, but some people need to actually see that with their eyes to realize that that's, that it wasn't quite worth what they thought it was going to be. Abs are a really huge one. A lot of people really, really, really want to get abs. And sometimes once we get there and they have abs, they're like, you know, I thought this would be more fun. (laughs) And then it's almost like, it's like you, you get there and then you're like, you know what I actually liked, uh, having a social life. So we just take a couple of baby steps back from there and they're still super fit, really healthy. The whole lifestyle is good. But now they know that like, Oh, maintaining that would not be worth the cost that I would have to do to keep that up all the time. So again, it depends on the person. It depends on the goal. I would never let somebody reach like a super uh, crazy, restrictive, unhealthy goal just to be like, see, (laughs) but, um, you know, some of them, uh, are more easy to attain and it's just a matter of experiencing it for yourself firsthand. Yeah. That's super interesting. Thank you for sharing that perspective. I feel like a lot of people need to hear that sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'd like to talk a little bit more of like some of the nitty gritty of like how um, someone might help like lose fat and optimize their body composition. Cause I feel this is a very common goal. And a lot of people coming up on January, they're going to be setting these goals. Um, so what is your, uh, I guess, overall approach? We don't have to go into all the little details, but say someone wants to lose like 20 pounds or something like that. Is it mostly through diet or exercise or like, what's the the combination of it? Yeah. So I do think it's mostly through diet. Uh, you can exercise beautifully, flawlessly. Um, but if your diet isn't right, or at least close to right, you're just not going to get the results that you want. And you may start exercising harder, which means you're probably going to be hungrier and just eat more. Um, and still not get the results that you want. Um, so I think nutrition is where I find most people struggle the most personally, more than getting to the gym or exercising. People are like, you know, I do all this stuff, but then at night I just can't keep my hands out of the chips or something like that. Uh, so we start there usually. And the first thing that I have people do is write down exactly what you're doing right now. Don't change anything. Don't try to tweak anything. Let's just, let's just take a look. And you know, you don't need a coach to do this. You can do this on your own, write down what you're eating, uh, kind of total it up. Like you're doing a, like a, an audit on yourself, just a quick little audit to see like, you might think you're eating 1800 calories a day or something. And when you write it out, it's like actually closer to 2,500 or sometimes the opposite. Some people want to build muscle and they think they're cramming all these calories in and then they write it down and it's nowhere near what they thought it was. So, you know, it's not about judging it and being like, Oh man, I screwed up. It's just about looking at it and saying, okay, if this is where we're at and we want to, as your example, like, you know, lose a little bit of weight, 
we're probably going to have to curtail this down a little bit. <clears throat> and that's the thing. You always want to curtail it down a little bit, just the smallest amount that you need to get the progress. Like, yeah, sure. You could slash the calories right in half and you would absolutely lose weight, but you'll be really hungry. You'll eventually overeat. You'll gain it back. You'll be like, I'm a failure. <laughs> I don't want to do this anymore. But if you, you know, just shave, you know, two or 300 calories off of that, you're probably going to be able to sustain that for longer. You'll still be able to incorporate foods that you enjoy um, and be more successful with it. But once you have that, that kind of inventory of how you're doing, look at where's the easiest places to make simple, healthy swaps. You know, if you're eating cookies as an afternoon snack, can you swap that out for like an apple and a little peanut butter or something? Or if you're just, you know, sitting there eating chips in front of the TV at the end of the night, can you just not buy those chips? <laughs> like if they're not in the house, you're less likely to do that habit. So again, kind of like we talked about earlier with the little habits, right? Uh, it's similar. I take a similar approach to people's diet. I don't, I don't think I have ever worked with somebody where I'm like, oh, right, here's what you've been doing. We're just going to rip this up and throw it away and start from scratch with a bunch of foods that you hate. Like, no, no, no. I look at what they're doing, what they like. And we just make small tweaks, wait a week or two to be like, okay, is this working? Are we making progress? Yes. Cool. We're going to keep doing this until it stops working or like, nope, that, that wasn't quite enough. Let's change a couple more things here. So that is usually the approach that I find is most successful for most people. Yeah. I really like that. Again, coming back to the healthy habits and just like small attainable goals and not trying to do like this giant shift overnight because yeah, yeah. it's not going to be sustainable. Yeah. Um, how do you stand like with your clients, do you track macronutrients? Like, do you recommend specific macronutrient ranges like protein, carbs, and fat, or is it more calorically based? So it depends a little bit on the person. Mm -hmm. I think there are some people that have really never put much thought into this at all. And we can almost kind of start with the bare minimum there, like literally not even tracking calories. We can start with just portion sizes and making sure we're getting like three square meals a day and two snacks and not snacking all day. Um, emphasis on veggies, emphasis on protein um, and get a lot of really good results with that for a long time. But then again, because I, I work with people who are brand new to fitness all the way up to like professional bodybuilders. So it, it's very different for them. Um, so there's a, another kind of tier sort of in the middle where I have clients track, uh, calories and protein, and then just kind of let the carbs and fats fall where they may, um, you know, as long as they're not eating super low fat or super low carb, they're probably going to be okay in that range. And obviously we're also talking about their healthy habits and are you getting fruits and veggies and this and that. Uh, and then there are the bodybuilders <laughs> and, uh, they in the off season kind of fall into that tier I just talked about in the building season. But once they're in prep, yeah, it's macronutrients like to the gram. Um, it's probably going to change really regularly as they keep going. Uh, but you know, and if it's a first time competitor, they know this, they know this before we go into it. Like, this is what it takes to achieve what you're asking to do. Are you sure this is something you want to do? Here are some red flags to watch for. If this happens, tell me we're going to, we're going to change gears at that point. But a lot of the like seasoned bodybuilders, it's like, they're kind of like have an on and off switch. They can just kind of like, we're doing this now. Um, and, and for them, it's, it's not, not a big issue because they're just so used to it at that point. 
that makes sense. So anyone that's new out there, you don't need to be scared off by the ideas of macronutrients. You can get good results just by, yes, starting to track a little bit, just being aware of what you're eating. I think that's huge. And I think um, I used to personal train actually a few years ago. And one of the things like I noticed with people is like, even just the process of tracking, it makes you more accountable to what you're eating. So it's like, if you mm-hmm. have to log it into a chronometer or something like that, sometimes you just won't eat it in the first place because you know, you'll have to like face that later. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. I found that. Yeah, there's a lot of studies to suggest that too, that just <laughs> the act of tracking makes people uh, eat better and also a little bit less than they normally would eat. Yeah. Human psychology uh, is fascinating actually. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I do, I love macros. Like I love the idea of tracking macros. I love flexible dieting. I think that it's helped a lot of people achieve more um, like a better relationship with food than just, just calorie tracking or just this idea of clean eating. Uh, but I also recognize that there can be downsides to it when it's taken to an extreme for some people. Mm-hmm, for sure. Um, okay. Switching gears a little bit. I have to ask about the keto diet. I'm sorry, <laughs> but, um, because I just hear this so often that some people say that like, they'll just use the, go on the keto diet for short term, just because they can want, can get that quick weight loss and then they won't stay on it forever. Then they'll start eating healthier again. Like I think inherently people know it's not a healthy diet. What do you say to these people that like, just want to start it for the quick weight loss? Um, so I know that you're a, you're a medical student, right? You're yes. a med student. Yep. And I know you've had dietitians on here before, so I'm sure that you've heard this. But there is Probably. nothing special about the keto diet. There's and as far as weight loss goes, nothing, nothing, nothing. It's just like the lazy way of putting yourself in a caloric deficit. Period. The only reason, two reasons, you're losing weight on a ketogenic diet. You're in a caloric deficit, which you could achieve on any diet any diet. Um, and two, if you're eating super, super low carbs, uh, carbs and glycogen, they also hold water. So as you kind of burn through that glycogen, you're just burning through that water. But literally the second you start storing glycogen again, you are also going to store water. And it's worth adding that, you know, hydrated bodies are better at building muscle. They're better at maintaining muscle. So there's a lot of reasons to have some glycogen in your body, other than the fact that it's like our number one form of fuel Um, and like our brain relies on it. So, yeah, I mean, I think you're right. People do know it's unhealthy. Like how can you literally eat a bacon and butter, like lettuce wraps, quote unquote sandwich and think this is great for my health. But somehow, I mean, the marketing on it is just fantastic. But yeah, it's just, it's just a caloric deficit, like every other caloric deficit. (laughs) Great. No, I just needed to hear you say it. And you said it great. So thank you. No problem. Um, Another question here is, what do you, is it okay to be hungry sometimes? Like when people are like trying to drop weight, they're trying to shave some calories off. I think people have, especially these days have an inherent fear of like being hungry and being in starvation mode and starting to catabolize their muscle. What is, is it, I guess, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah. I literally, the last YouTube video I made was this exactly like, are, is, is hunger your friend or your enemy? Like I agree with you actually. So I think that hunger is to be expected actually, especially if your goal is any kind of weight loss or body fat loss, you're going to feel hungry sometimes. And that is part of the process. Um, that said, like you shouldn't be feeling hungry all the time. You shouldn't be feeling like famished for your next meal. You shouldn't be feeling weak or faint or anything like that, but you should be feeling hunger several times a day. Like you know, I like to think about like a 
a hunger scale with zero being like starving, like you're going to pass out, 10 being so full that you might be sick. Like we should be hitting like a three to a seven multiple times throughout the day. You want to remember what it feels like to be hungry. You want to remember what it feels like to be full. These are important sensations that if you don't feel them ever, you forget what they feel like. Your body just can't communicate them to you very well anymore. Um, and we see this a lot with bodybuilders uh, who, who are after a prep, after a diet, they are terrified of being hungry because they've just spent so long being hungry. Um, and they haven't felt full in so long that they can't feel full for quite a while. So, um, yeah, I think that it's a really complicated issue, but I do think that like, generally speaking, hunger is not a terrible thing. Like nobody's going to die. You're not going to, you're not going to, we're lucky to live in a world where like, you know, most people probably listening to this podcast have access to food. You're not going to starve to death. Uh, it would take a long time, not like between meals for your muscles to start catabolizing. So yeah, feeling a little hungry. Okay. <laughs> Great to know. Um, and I know we focused a lot on weight loss and just because I, I think that is a common thing coming up on the new year, but I might have to have you on again sometime and maybe dive into like actually building muscle on a plant-based diet, because I know there's a lot of yeah. people out there that just try and put on weight and they just can't no matter what. So, um, mm -hmm. that might be for another day, but if yeah, someone... I would love to come back. You just let me know <laughs> for sure. If someone's listening out there and they're, they're interested in working with you, um, or like finding more about you, um, where would you direct them to? And also do you work with clients internationally or how does that work? Yeah. So first of all, the, the best place to find me is veganproteins.com. That's my coaching website, myself and my husband, uh, and you can just reach out to us directly there, or we have tons of free resources there too, videos, podcasts, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but I do work with clients internationally. Uh, the only time that it is ever like a little bit of a lag is when they're literally on the other side of the world and we're in different, like vastly different time zones. But uh, we also have our assistant coach lives in Australia. So oh, we kind of have the clock covered with all of us on there. That's great. And yeah. people whatever, whatever their fitness goal is, they could approach you with it. Like, does it, doesn't have to be too large or too small, I guess. Exactly. So okay. the only requirements that we have for our clients are one, that they're natural, meaning they're not using any performance enhancing drugs. And two, they are plant-based or vegan, or they're looking to become plant-based or vegan. Okay. Um, because I feel like if they're not, there's a bajillion other coaches out there for them. <laughs> <laughs> totally. I understand. Um, mm -hmm. All right. So just, I guess in closing, um, what is one thing you'd like people to take away from this conversation? It can be anything at all. I guess I would say the thing that I want people to take away from this conversation is to be a little bit kinder to themselves, a little bit gentler with themselves. Um, you know, take it from me as somebody who works with some really top level physique competitors in the world. Uh, a lot of times they're not very nice to themselves. They're not talking very nicely to themselves or being very kind to themselves. And, uh, it's really a shame because only good things can happen when you're kinder and gentler with yourself. Like nothing good comes out of beating yourself up. So that would be the takeaway. I would hope people would get. Well, thank you. I think that's perfect note to end on. Thank you so much for being here. This has been great. And I've, I've learned a lot from you and I hope uh, my listeners have as well. Yeah. Thank you so much. This was a lot of fun. I love talking about this stuff. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the plant fueled podcast. Just a reminder, be sure to check out the show notes for all the resources mentioned and details on how to connect with our guest. 
If you enjoyed what you heard, please subscribe and share the show with friends, family, or anyone else who may benefit. And one small favor, I would really appreciate it if you could leave a five-star rating or review wherever you are listening. It helps other people discover the show and spread this information. If you have any comments or feedback, please feel free to reach out to me on Instagram. Anyways, be sure to move your body, eat some plants, be grateful for the little things, and until next time.